TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. And good morning and welcome once again to Radio 81 WEDO 1550 WZUM, the heart and soul of Pittsburgh, WMCK.FM, the new sound of the Mon Valley, and TubeCityOnline.com. Martin Luther King Jr. Day is Monday, and, you know, like so many holidays, it has become just another day off to many, many people, but it is a day set aside to memorialize not only the birthday of the slain civil rights leader of the 50s and 60s, but also all of the other sacrifices that people in the civil rights movement had made and continue to make to this day. And that's what our guest this morning is going to talk about. He is a Professor Jonathan White. He is an instructor in history at Penn State Greater Allegheny campus. Uh, good morning, Professor. Uh, good morning to you, too. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm going to tell a few people here first. I want to get into your background a little bit because your background is, is very interesting to me in addition to being a historian and author. You're also a poet and an artist, and I want to ask you a little bit about that. But um, this Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, students from six other Penn State campuses are coming to McKeesport to volunteer throughout the Mon Valley area. They'll be at the McKeesport Little Theater, Auberly, the Palms, Braddock, Carnegie Library, uh, White Oak Borough, White Oak Park, Braddock Daycare, and a bunch of other places. They're coming in from Altoona uh, Campus, Berend Campus, Fayette Campus, New Kensington, and Dubois, all coming to McKeesport this Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The university is stressing uh, that students need to make the holiday a day on, not a day off. And, uh, Jonathan, you are giving the keynote address. Yes, sir. What does that mean to have a day on? Um, so many of our holidays have just become that. It's a break from work. Yeah. And in this case, when we think of Martin Luther King, the tremendous sacrifice he gave. Um, His life. To, not to, I would think at some point you want to come to a, an evolution, right, especially with us dealing with trying to educate students and help them become better critical thinking. And for me, one of my biggest uh, uh, points of emphasis is trying to get them to have passion about something. And so in that vein, I think um, we have to start thinking of people like Dr. King and thinking of this as a moment uh, that we have to grasp to help make this country better. Because at the end of the day, that was his ultimate goal, to, uh, to change the hearts and minds of American citizens. And in, in, in doing so, uh, make this country, you know, force it to live up to so many, so many of the great ideas that it uh, espoused. But I, I don't want to steal your thunder completely, but I'm wondering if you could give our listeners a, a little taste of how you're going to fire uh, these kids up on Monday. Mm, that's, that's really a, a, a challenge for me, because when I first heard about, you know, talking, it was more like, can you just talk about his passion for people? And yeah. One of the things I do as a historian, I believe history is stories. And, um, you know, it's about you know, telling the stories of this country and telling the stories of people. So what I try to do is unravel using primarily my, my own experience, the first time I was called an N-word and what that feels mm. like. And the fact that somebody doesn't even know you or could feel about you that way, to try to get people to understand why did Dr. King ultimately come to the conclusion that nonviolence was the, the best method. And along with nonviolence, this ethic of love that he wanted to cultivate in this country, agape love, like loving simply because you're a human being. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'll talk a little bit about his life when he was younger, uh, how he came to, to be involved in thrusting the ministry. Actually, people had no inkling that he would become 
the, the gentleman that he did, I mean, in terms of, of being an activist. But also, I talk a little bit about um, how close we were to not having this dream fulfilled. I mean, he nearly lost his life in, in the 1950s, late 1950s, when he was stabbed. And so uh, we were close to not even having a holiday like this, right? We were close to not even uh, having a dream to hold on to, as I've heard many who were at that march say um, that when he was doing that speech, it was... I, I have a dream power is actually improvisation. He was like the skilled jazz musician who saw and, and took the temperature of the crowd and realized that what he had written on the paper wasn't matching the intensity. He actually disregarded the final part and started to improvise. And uh, people like Mahalia Jackson who were there who had heard him talk about dreams and other speeches mm-hmm. um, encouraged us. Mahalia Jackson, I've read, was behind him saying, tell him about the dream, Mark. tell him about the dream. So, hey, all of a sudden, spirit, you know, he said, I'm a preacher. My grandfather was a preacher. My father was a preacher. He said, I had no choice. So that preacher spirit that was in him came out. And so it's not so much uh, trying to get students and people to directly embrace his vision as much as it is embracing a dream that, that will lead us towards making America better. What is your dream for this country? Are you simply here taking up space, uh-huh. right, or are you going to fulfill a grand purpose that uh, uh, Dr. King did, but that was his purpose? What is your purpose? So I found that students often respond well to, you know, I like to take away the myths behind a lot of our historical figures so they uh-huh. understand these were human beings, you know, they had their shortcomings, but they overcame that and still became great and accomplished great things. So. Dr. King is relatively an easy person to talk about, but I want to try to peel back some of the layers so that people understand. You know, he, in many ways, there were those who disagreed with him. There were yeah. people who felt like nonviolence wasn't the mean, uh, wasn't the best method. Um, people who felt like he himself became discouraged because he wanted yeah. to talk about Vietnam and yeah. um, desegregating the ghettos and poor people, giving them a, a real living wage. And he actually had kind of, this speech actually kind of faded from people's minds, but it's interesting the thing that people still held on to from the speech was the dream part, this notion of, you know, is there something out there that we can grasp onto? And I think when you find that, uh, my brother, is something that uh, literally can drive you from, you know, your point of consciousness to the time that you're in your grave. When you find a dream, a dream, a purpose that makes this life worth living, uh, a way to touch and move people, in Dr. King case, you could argue it was his words, the way he used words. My mom said that he said things he wanted to say but couldn't. Huh. Consider that that's one aspect of his greatness, but it's also the spirit behind those words. What I love about Dr. King is he had studied uh, philosophy, Marxism, and all these great yeah. philosophers. And he had looked at uh, the history of America and said, look, there is no violent revolution or rebellion that has been successful, whether slave or union, uh, economic uh, union uh, uh, revolt. So he says, just from a practical standpoint, mm-hmm. violence can't be the way, but... Ultimately, if you want to keep somebody from, in my case, um, change the mind, hearts and minds of those who call me the N-word and my sister yeah. who was called at by a middle school student but oh my. working in Georgia, if you want to change those hearts and minds of people, you have to attack the heart. And it was it really comes down to a uh, debate of whether we're, whether we're stronger, love or hate. And I think that um, he, he never told people not to suffer and not, I'm sorry, not to be angry uh-huh. because you need to channel that anger. Actually, people need to learn to suffer, because that's how you wear down the oppressor, is by suffering. So... I'm excited. It's a very, it's a very, it's a very Christian message, and I know that's not explicitly what you're saying, but of course, it, it demonstrates that he was not just a civil rights leader; he was also a religious leader as well. Yes, no question, no question. Uh, Judeo-Christian as well yeah. as this 
being influenced by Gandhi. Yeah. His um, methods of protest. But I want to I want to get into your background just just a little bit. You uh, grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, is my understanding, and you graduated from Clark Atlanta University, and you have a history uh, master's from the University of Pittsburgh. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what was growing up in, in Norfolk, Virginia like? Hmm. Uh, well, my father was a military man, a Marine. I suspect that he might be if you were in Norfolk, yeah. Yeah, he had a naval base. He worked there. And, yeah. um, I would say the first eight years of my life has been a project, which, you know, um, was interesting because I always tell people that are from uh, underprivileged backgrounds that that's no excuse for them, you know, becoming successful later on in life. Cause uh-huh. Both my sister and I... Um, officer and our doctorate, so um, despite coming from that area. And um, I remember living in the projects was that for those who lived inside of that environment, it was simply home. It wasn't a hood. It wasn't a negative connotation. I think my father finally moved us out to a middle neighbor, uh, middle-class neighborhood. We were excited, but I also realized I had lost some really great friends from just having, you know, in the project housing, you would just, everybody lived in that community yeah. uh, type of setting. So, my remembrances of childhood are great. You know, I had the parents there. My dad worked. My mom stayed home. And she had been a teacher. So, I mean, she was a cat for uh, me and my sister. And education was first and foremost. Uh, my mom, I think I fell in love with, unbeknownst to me as a child, the way my mom used to read books to us as children, it was a group of children books called Value Tales. And what they would do is they would take the lives of famous people and make them do something for a child to be able to understand. And they would bring out certain characteristics in this person's life so, uh, for instance, Dr. King, it might be uh, courage or, or what have uh-huh. And so the child would kind of come away with this message. And so although I never dreamed of being a teacher, it was my sister who was uh, more so a young person who I was going to play school. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. It was yeah. for students. So I, I was more into art, sports, those things. Yeah. I think in retrospect, my mother's voice, the way I try to animate uh, when I'm, I'm, I'm doing my lectures or when I'm discussing these stories, I definitely have to credit my mom for that, and my father, I would say, just provided the, the, the ultimate example of the American Protestant work ethic. I mean, yeah. I literally cannot remember that he did not go to work for sickness. It, it had to be something where, you know, one of us needed something where he might have stayed and, and done something like that. But in terms of his own, like yeah. every day I saw him get up and work two jobs. So those were the two examples of a mother who was very devoted from stress education and a father who was um, the absolute provider when it came to our family. Let's but, pl- yeah, I have great, great remembrances of, of growing up in, in North, and then going to Atlanta uh, for undergrad. I really enjoyed that experience as well. Our guest this morning is Jonathan White. He is an instructor in history at Penn State University Greater Allegheny Campus, and he will be delivering the keynote address to a group of Penn State students who will be doing service projects on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That's Monday. You're listening to Radio 81 WEDO 1550 WZUM, WMCK.FM, and TubeCityOnline.com. We'll be right back. Support for this broadcast comes in part from the McKeesport Hospital Foundation. Since 1976, the foundation has addressed key concerns that affect our good health, as well as our education, social needs, recreation, safety, and security. The foundation partners with UPMC McKeesport and other agencies to eliminate barriers to all services for all residents of the Mon Valley. Visit mckhospitalfoundation.com or call 412-664-2590. You're listening to Two Rivers, 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media, Incorporated. You know, we're looking for help in getting this show on the air and for help with other projects. If you're interested in the McKeesport area and you'd like to host a program or write articles for the website, call us at 412 
614-965-9659 or email TubeCityTiger at gmail.com. And we're back on Radio 81 WEDO, 1550 WZUM, the heart and soul of Pittsburgh, WMCK.FM, the new sound of the Mon Valley, and TubeCityOnline.com. Our guest this morning, Jonathan White, instructor in history at Penn State University, Greater Allegheny Campus. We're talking about the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. The holiday, of course, is Monday, and a group of Penn State students who will be volunteering throughout the Mon Valley area are celebrating the day as a day on work, not as a day off of school. Before we took the break, uh, Jonathan, you were talking a little bit about your mom and dad. Your mom had been a teacher. Your dad was career uh, Marine Corps. Oh no, he actually became he uh, when he got out. He became um, a nuclear spe- uh, inspector. He would inspect going ships and his oh wow military equipment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he worked at the Navy base though. Anyways, oh uh, yes, sir. Okay, okay. And then you were talking about your sister always wanting to play school. Did she go into education as well? Uh, yes, I mean I was first because I'm oldest. Especially uh-huh. when I went to ten, I started. I was a TA. And she um, actually started off, I think she has a dual master's in creative writing and literature. So she actually started wanting to be an English yeah. a writer. Uh, yeah. And then it kind of evolved into, well, okay, until I get my writing chops, I need to have income. So sure. she became a teacher. I think she was teaching preschool initially. And now and my sister actually has taught more levels than myself. She's taught college, middle school. I don't know about high school, but she's taught elementary as well as uh, preschool. So I would say, honestly, I think she's probably a better technical um teacher than I am, but I think I'm, you know, the art, artist side of me, that preacher side of me, the, the classroom is a place for me to be able to touch people. If it was just about the knowledge, yeah, uh, I'm not as interested in that part of the profession, but I love being able to reach young people and help them, uh, you know, get some insight into who they are and, and um, try to ignite, you know, some of the coals that are inside them. So for me, teaching is a, is an honorable profession, but it's a profession that allows you to, to, to shape and mold people that uh, you know, precarious moments yeah. in you, their life. You, you, um, you, you wrote a, a, a book or a doctoral dissertation that I think was published uh, about the Pittsburgh's Black Musicians Union, Local 471. Was that Did that come out in, as a book? Oh, no, sir. No, okay. it's, it's being written in a format, so it okay. Okay. Um, so, I, I, but I know you're a, a published author, but what I didn't realize is that you're also a poet, correct? Yes, sir. When, when did you uh, develop the interest in poetry? Wow. Um, growing up, I was in a, a visual artist. I like to paint, like to sketch. Yeah. And um, I remember when my mom made me start taking classes, I started because I wanted to be a cartoonist and draw like the Spider-Man and Batman. Yeah. And I had to start taking artist classes. I began to, to not have that same enthusiasm. So huh. um, I was into art. I was actually into music, going to play the cello. I uh, became well. And I want to say around 15 or so that... Um, uh, I did my first poem, it was a poem called Confidence. I wrote and I won a contest. I guess it must have been a freshman in high school. But to be honest, I kind of still put that to the side, pursue sports. You know, I was happy for the accomplishment, but it didn't really stir me. And it wasn't until a junior at college when uh, I went into a talent show and I did spoken word, which is, you know, taking a poem from the page and, mm-hmm. and, and doing it orally. And, you know, I got such a great response from both males and females. Like people would be like, I don't even like poetry, but I love what you're doing. And I began to understand the power of my voice. Uh-huh. I, been, I was very shy growing up, very shy. And um, but I, I could express myself in my drawings, through athletics, to just um, you know my schoolwork. But that was the first time I saw the power of people to respond simply to something that you sat down and wrote. Okay, it came outside of you. And so, junior year in college, I would say I started um, getting into the spoken word. Uh, 
wrestling for a while, and then as I, you know, became uh, stained the pit, I became involved with the Country Writers, which was a prestigious writing group there, and I learned from some of the best poets. And then uh, uh, Mr. Lewis Collier started the Langston Hughes Poetry Society of Pittsburgh. Okay. And I was actually the first president. He was the CEO, but I was the first president of that nonprofit organization. And so it gave us an opportunity to go all around the city, actually all up and down the East Coast, uh, and pre- present our work to perform, to go in churches, libraries, uh, colleges, uh, outside forums. Uh, you know, we've been bars. I mean, wherever th- th- there was a venue or space for us to open, express our art. Um, because- did you Did you get any, as a, as a younger person, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but as a younger person, I'm just curious, did you get any flack for, for writing poetry? Like, oh, man, that's not something that guys, guys don't write poetry. I mean, did, uh, did you have to overcome that a little bit? Yeah, I think I always had to, you know, because I was good at so many things, yeah. I think that um, guys didn't really, I never really thought, I think anything, I think the bigger um, pressure was, you know, being the only brother in uh, honors uh, placement classes in, in high school. Okay. And the challenge of just kind of, you don't want to seem like, feel like you're a nerd and yeah. you're a friend of any other classes. But the poetry, I think that was something I probably kept closer to my best, but I didn't realize I was that good at it early okay. on. Like, I knew I was a good artist, but... Poetry that was kind of late, and so by the time I started doing it in college, and I, you know, you go to these talent shows, the people are were amazed at the, you know, the abilities. I think it was I was fortunate enough to have people receive me, receive my voice well, and then, like I say, the, the people that I first started, the country writers and the Langston Hughes yeah. Poetry Society, these were two literary poets and spoken word artists, so it was kind of an appreciation for the craft. Uh-huh. You know, there, there wasn't any ridicule attached yeah. to it. So. Okay. I didn't really have that problem. Jo- Jonathan White is an instructor in history at Penn State Greater Allegheny Campus. He's a graduate of Clark Atlanta University and the University of Pittsburgh. His research interests include black popular culture in the 20th century, black nationalist thought, the Harlem Renaissance and arts movement, and civil rights and black power movements. And he teaches U.S. history, Western Civ, and American African-American history at Penn State Greater Allegheny. He will be the keynote speaker uh, to a large group of Penn State students on Monday, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, as those students get ready to go out and volunteer uh, at a bunch of different places in the Mon Valley uh, area. So if you're out and about on Monday uh, at the Braddock Carnegie Library or White Oak Park or a bunch of other places, you may very well uh, bump into some, some Penn State uh, kids doing great things. Um, I want to ask you a little bit of a, of a sensitive topic, but you touched on it. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you touched on two things. You, talked, you touched on growing up in public housing, and you also t- touched on uh, the first time uh, you really experienced um, bitterness and hate directed at you because of your race. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, if you don't want to, that's okay. But Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember the actual year, but... Um, well, my, I had heard about my sister's incident first. Okay. So she, 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 she teaches down in Gwinnett, Georgia. Uh-huh. And so when I heard about that, there was a natural part of me being an older brother that was very, um, you know, wanted to wish I could protect her from yeah. that kind of pain. And I think um, coming from South Carolina, uh, after a uh, historically black college, uh-huh. you know, our, much of our orientation towards history and our understanding of society was that, you know, we got a black perspective. We kind of knew that there were things that you need to be aware of or things that our people have gone through uh, to get to where we are now. And so when I came to the University of Pittsburgh, it was an eye-opener for me because I started, I, I was meeting people from all around the world. I had literally had friends from different continents. One of my best friends was a Jewish uh a uh, guy named Max, and I'm okay. like, wow, like I've heard all of this stuff in undergrad, and I love my African American heritage, but now I can truly say I have people from all these different races who yeah. are, I would consider my brother or my sister. 
And so I remember the night that it happened, I was actually coming out toward a um, U.S. history class, and um, I was coming home. It was so this night. happened in Pittsburgh? Uh, yes. I just yes. want to make sure we stress that. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes, I was coming home. I was on Oakland, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, University of Pittsburgh, Oakland campus. Uh-huh. I was coming home after an 8 o'clock uh, night class, and I was about to cross either Forbes or Fifth Avenue. I can't uh-huh. remember. And I bent down to tie my shoe, and I heard there was a, a carload of people come by, and I heard people yell out the word, the, the N-word. And so I, I kind of didn't really respond, because obviously it's not my name, but I, I just kind of assumed that maybe they were just giving a song or something going yeah. on. And I looked up, and I was the only one in that vicinity. Like, they, I was Yikes. a crossroad, and they walked past, and I realized they were talking about me. And that was that moment. It was so ironic, because I had just come from teaching an American history class, the class that was probably... Um, primarily white students, and I yeah. learned how to break away from some of my, you know, I, I went to basically all black schools until I got to high school. Uh-huh. So I kind of had gotten myself comfortable in being in environments where I was a, a real minority, and I and I love working with my students. They responded well to me, and so to, to leave a class where you're teaching about, you know, early uh, American history and to go out and be confronted with that was, as I've told the students before, I'm a confident young man, and my mom name me Jonathan because of what it means biblically, but to hear somebody call you outside of that and knowing yeah. what that word means and the fact that he's kind of like men, you know, I remember it vaguely, but it was almost like once I looked up and saw the car going past and saw them looking back, Yeah, you know, it was just kind of, I guess it was almost like a dream. Like I couldn't tell you if I would have seen them, see them today, I thought if I would recognize them. Yeah, sure. You know, it was dark, it was a dream. And, um... This is one of those things I use it as a teaching school teaching tool for for students to help them understand that ultimately this is why violence in Dr. King's estimation was a failed strategy because at the end of the day, don't change that person who wants to oppress you. Yeah. Don't help them develop a different psychology. And so, you know, my mom, she was a caretaker. I saw things with her having a lot of older white patients who, you know, and, and as a young child were questioning, well, why does that person call you girl yeah. when you're grown? Or yeah. why do they just kind of um, boss you around or, or or say things about, you know, we might be watching Atlanta Braves game on TV and they would make a comment about yeah. calling these players monkeys and, you know, things I would hear as a young child. And my mother would just tell me, you know, that's how they are, they're older. And so these things kind of welled up inside of me as a young man. Yeah. And I think uh, when I finally got the opportunity to teach African-American history, my number one goal really was to go to a black college. I said, I want to go to these, these mm-hmm. schools and I want to help African-American students really see what society is like. But it, it seems as if God wanted to place me here in Pittsburgh. And uh-huh. I've had primarily my teaching experience has been with mostly white students, and it's been a wonderful experience because it's opened my mind. And I hope I've had students tell me it's the first time they've had a black teacher that wasn't like a PE teacher, something like that. <laughs> so I'm hoping that the, uh, the perspective I bring and my life experiences, um, my pain and my, you know, the triumphs I've been allowed yeah. to have in life, I hope that, you know, that, you know, it's just brought something uh, helpful these young people. Let's, we have one more 60-second break, and, and we're pushing the clock already, but uh, I, I need to take the break, and then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about how you are sort of demythologizing Dr. King and his message and, and, and translating it to the 21st century, okay? Okay. Jonathan White is our guest. He's an instructor in history at Penn State Greater Allegheny Campus. We're talking about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is Monday. We're also talking about his experience in teaching U.S. history and African-American history. Uh, You're listening to Radio 81, WEDO, 1550, WZUM, WMCK.FM, and TubeCityOnline.com. Stay tuned. We'll be back in 60 seconds. (laughs) 
Support for this broadcast comes in part from the McKeesport Hospital Foundation, celebrating 36 years of supporting community health programs and services for you and your family. The foundation works with UPMC McKeesport as well as through the Mon River Fleet Partnerships in Braddock, Clareton, Duquesne, and McKeesport. If you would like to make a donation to the McKeesport Hospital Foundation or find out more about it, visit mckhospitalfoundation.com or call 412-664-2590. You're listening to Two Rivers, 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media, Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. We're back for a final few minutes here with Jonathan White, who is a professor of history or instructor in history at Penn State Crater Allegheny Campus. He'll be delivering a keynote speech on Martin Luther King Jr. Day to a group of Penn State students from, I believe, six or seven different Penn State campuses uh, who will be gathering in McKeesport on Monday and then going out throughout the Mon Valley to do volunteer work on Dr. King's Day. Um, before we took the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about your personal experiences and, and how you came to, to, to become a teacher and a writer. But um, when we started off the half hour, I, you, you mentioned that one of the things you're trying to do is, is um, I, I use the word demythologize. It's, it's like, you know, Martin Luther King has become this, this figure who's on statues like George Washington or Benjamin Franklin. But um, I'm just wondering, do, do students today, can they relate to someone who died 40 years before they were born in, in, in a lot of cases now? It's interesting because uh, at the beginning of the semester, I have an essay assignment, and one of the things is, uh, one of the essay prompts is uh, write about three people in history you would meet. Yeah. And Martin Luther King comes up, um, you know, he's one of, I would say, one of the top three names who okay. always comes up because I do this every year. But the problem, I think, with that is for many people who say, well, I want to meet Dr. King, it almost comes, when you read their work, it almost comes off like, well, that's really one of the only people that they talked about in our history, you know, from K through 12. Like, he's really one of the only black people I know. So they didn't talk about Langston Hughes or August Wilson uh, or any, just about Dr. King? Right. Okay. But like you know about him, you just heard the name, but it's like, well, um, what about the life of this man who um, in many ways had a tremendous burden on him, who in many ways wasn't accepted, not only by uh, black militants, but even by those on the, on the nonviolent side who felt like he absorbed too much attention. Yeah. When you listen, listen to one of his uh, sermons, Why uh, Jesus Called Man a Fool, he talks about a moment where he sat down and was afraid, and he got a cup of coffee because he couldn't sleep, and he was thinking about Coretta and his daughter. He only had one child at the time. And yeah thinking about the, the, the death threats, and, you know, he had a spirit. Usually he would, um, you know, try to listen to some gospel or, you know, take solace in, in his faith, but he said it was just that night it was hard for him to shake. He talked about having a sign of strength that it couldn't be, his faith became real for him. It couldn't be uh, something that your dad told you about or something you just read about in, in a book. It was his faith to do what he ultimately would do by making these speeches and being at the forefront of this movement. It became real. And I think for students, they have an image, they have an idea of yeah. him. Um, but um, I remember even one time mentioning some of his personal transgressions. How the yeah, sure. Got big. Like, what? <laughs> Dr. King did what? You know? Yeah. Because, again, we only know those parts, which is great, but it also makes you feel like you can never aspire to be that. And again, yeah. I had to tell him that he was actually... Human being. Yeah, so he replaced Vernon Johns at another church because they thought he was going to be a quiet... You know, nice, well-spoken young man. <laughs> this pastor was too outspoken. We'll bring Brother King in, and he'll, next to Avenue Church in Alabama, he'll be um, a good fill-in. And so he's thrust into the forefront with the March boycott, uh, with Rosa Parks. Yeah. And that's really where he's, you know, at 26 years old, he's going onto the stage. But I try 
try to personalize them for the students and um, help them to understand that at the end of the day, this life is about uh, finding your unique passion and finding something that uh, a way to contribute and make this world better, right? Like, do you really want to die not having attempted to make this world better? 39 uh, years old, wasn't even 40 when he passed, and yet, yeah. um, you know, he had a holiday before we had a black president. So, you know, if you think about that, um, his accomplishments <laughs> went yeah. far beyond the grave. Jonathan White has been our guest. He's an instructor in history at Penn State Greater Allegheny Campus. He will be delivering the keynote address uh, to a group of Penn State students on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That's uh, this coming Monday um, as they go out to volunteer for a day on of community service at groups throughout um, Keysport, Braddock, and White Oak. Thank you so much, uh, Professor, for taking some time to talk with us. All right, thank you for the opportunity. And thank you all for listening to Radio 81 WEDO 1550 WZUM, the heart and soul of Pittsburgh, WMCK.FM, the new sound of the Mon Valley, and TubeCityOnline.com. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright 2015, Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated, WEDO Radio, 810 Incorporated, or those of AM Guys LLC, WZUM 1550. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution or find out how you can underwrite this program, please visit our website at TubeCityOnline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, Keysport, PA 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Thank you.